This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's finally over. It's finally over. The regular season has been completed. We now know what the NBA playoff landscape looks like. And the Brooklyn Nets finished on a very, very strong note. I think that's a positive because... As we sat here watching that losing streak, losing to Portland, losing to Milwaukee twice, losing to Dallas, I think you and I, Mike, were starting to feel down about things. We were starting mm-hmm. to get in the dumps about things. And ever since that great second half comeback against the Denver Nuggets, things have been very easy. They beat the Bulls, I thought, rather easily, beat the Spurs rather easily, destroyed the Bulls on Saturday, and ended the regular season with a laugher against the Cleveland Cavaliers. 48 and 24 and officially mm. the number two seed in the Eastern conference. How does it feel? It feels, it feels good. It feels, I feel a sense of relief that we can finally just get to the freaking playoffs. Uh, we've been thinking about it and we're, we're at the two spot. We're going to see the winner of the seven, eight with Boston, Washington to have a little closure on who they'll be playing in the playoffs. And it just feels freaking good to be here to be at the playoff spot. And it is amazing how they go on a five or four game losing streak and it felt like the end of the world, but then like they go on a five game winning streak and it's just like, okay, they won five <laughs> games. This is nice, but it's not like, I guess in the past when the Nets would win five games in a row, I'd be so hyped up. Now it just feels like we're, we're, we're getting to where we need to be. We saw one game with the big three and now away we go and we'll find out who we play. And then next week, you know, the stress begins in the journey to hopefully winning the Nets' first NBA championship. You, you just hit on it. Something very funny that we do have to address. One game of the big three. You know, we sat here for the last two months speculating on how many times we would see these three guys play together. Ever since Kevin Durant went out with the hamstring issue, and that felt endless, and it was endless, just waiting for him to return, waiting for Durant to come back. And then James Harden has his hamstring issue. Then he comes back. Then it gets hurt again. Then it's like, oh, James Harden's coming back. Oh, wait a second. He has a setback. I, it's a, I'm almost surprised that we even got the one game that we got because right. I, I remember saying this on the podcast to you last week, maybe a week before, and I got a few tweets from people asking me, why do you think this? And I, it's the comment I made of, I don't expect to see James Harden even in the first round. Mm. I was starting to kind of put him out of my mind. So to me, it was a pleasant surprise that he has come back. Uh, but one freaking game from these three guys together. They're going to go into the playoffs 
as one of the biggest science experiments in the history of the NBA. They end up basically playing eight games together. It's incredible when you think about it. And what did they say? 38 starting lineups for the Nets this year, a franchise record. And this was a 72 game season. I am almost positive if they played another 10 games, they would probably come up with another at least seven to eight different starting lineups. It has been such a strange season. And then through all of it, they're having their best season record-wise through 72 games that they ever had. And if it was a full 82-game season, they surely would have eclipsed the 52-win team that was in 01-02. So with all of that, here they are. And now we go into the playoffs and let this science experiment begin. And it just feels like we've seen like four or five different versions of the Nets this year. We've seen the beginning version with Kyrie and Durant, Lavert Allen, and then we got a, a taste of the big the big three. And then we got the Harden Kyrie version of the Nets and then Harden went out and then we got the Durant Kyrie come back and then Mike James version with the Nets now inserted. And it just feels like I've seen different versions of this Nets team. And now the one that we're going to see in the playoffs is what I've never seen before as well with the whole roster complete. Dude, when you think back to the first few weeks of the season, think about that version of the Nets. Timothy Lawabo Cabarro was playing a significant role on this yep. team. Like, obviously, Levert and Allen, we know about. They make the James Harden trade. But what about some of the guys on this roster, like TLC, who had such a huge role over the first few weeks of the year, and now he's a human victory cigar. We saw him at the end mm -hmm. of the Cleveland game because, yeah, it was out of reach. Early in the season, Reggie Perry was playing huge minutes for this team. And here's the one that still makes me laugh and kind of frustrates me. Bruce Brown had no role. Yeah. And when you look at the conclusion of this season, and then you start to think about this playoff roster and you start to think about the playoff rotation. Bruce Brown is a huge factor. Bruce Brown. Oh, yeah. And we've, we've spent so much time waxing poetic about him on this podcast. And I'm not, you know, I'm starting to not even be concerned that Steve Nash understands he has a key player. In fact, I think Bruce Brown may even start in the playoffs, even with a healthy Joe Harris may as well have Joe coming off the bench, but Bruce Brown couldn't buy minutes the first few games of the season. And look what ended up happening to him and his role on this roster. Correct me if I'm wrong, Evan. I think the first time we really saw Bruce Brown play was at the Sixer game at home when the Nets were missing pretty much everybody. And by necessity, they needed to put him in the game and Nash started him. And they just came out of the gate so strong in that game. They beat the Sixers at home, I believe. And Bruce Brown was just awesome. Another one of those guys that was getting minutes that's now, I guess, sometimes getting minutes depending on the matchup. But DeAndre Jordan, here's a player with the starting center for the Nets. Then Jared Allen came in and became the starting center. Then Allen was dealt, and DeAndre Jordan became the starting center again. And then <laughs> Steve Nash realized, well, DeAndre Jordan just does not play defense, move, or hustle, and really is a liability for them. So he disappeared. Nick Claxton got minutes, and the Blake Griffin team came. And it was just like, oh, there's, a, there's another guy that – it was figured to be have some significant part of this team and then just completely now is not even a, a factor at all except for the random game here or there like we saw against the Bucks, where coach Nash wanted to play him against Giannis Antetokounmpo yeah by the way you were very close to that so Bruce Brown first two games of the year barely played had a bunch of DNPs his coming out party was the day before that Sixer game it was actually against the Jazz when they the blew Jazz game they blew Utah out, but they played Philadelphia the next game. 
And he also had a big role in that game. And then I remember early in the season, there were a handful of games and it may have been the two losses to Cleveland in Cleveland when the big three started making their debut together. And then that one game in Oklahoma City, or maybe it was at home against Oklahoma City, where he forgot about him. We had like no role on the roster, even though right. Bruce had been playing well, Nash almost just forgot about him. But you're so right. There's been so many different parts of this roster that have not played parts of this roster that did play big minutes and the rotation has moved all over the place. Landry Shamit's an example of it. He got off to such a terrible start. I couldn't even blame Nash for not giving him a big role. Then he had that month and a half stretch where he was awesome. Then he started sucking again and he's played a lot better recently to where I think he's going to be in the playoff rotation. I think they're going to go nine deep. And I think Shamit's going to be one of those guys. And look, if he doesn't play well, he could easily lose a spot in the rotation because you've got Mike James, because you've got Tyler Johnson. And that's the thing. When you examine, how did they get to 48 and 24? Like, how the hell did they get here? Considering how different the lineups would look like, how different the rotations would look like. The stars not playing every single night. I think it's a combination of a few things. Number one, these star players, bro, when they played, were fantastic. I mean, look at the yeah. year Kyrie Irving ended up having, having, which was made official today with the 50-40-90 year. Same with KD. Same with James Harden when he was out there. But then that core of bench guys who basically played most games. Joe Harris finally missed a couple of games here at the conclusion of the season. But you look at Joe Harris. You look at Jeff Green who went out there and basically played every game. We mentioned Bruce Brown, Landry Shamit. Tyler Johnson, Mike James over the final 12 games of the year, Alice A. Johnson when they remembered he was on the roster. Those guys contributed big time. You saw it in the game on Saturday against Chicago. The big three didn't even play that well. They no. won that game going away because of those core bench guys we're talking about. And how good has Mike James been for this team? I think uh, Chioza gets injured. If he doesn't get hurt, I mean, they're never giving Mike James a call. They bring this guy in, and he's had some moments where he hasn't shot well, and th there's been some few plays where he's turned the ball over. But for the most part, I mean, he has been such a stable backup point guard. He has done a tremendous job hitting jumpers, doing a good job in the pick and roll, getting people involved, uh, rebounding pretty well for his size. He's putting up games basically off the bench. If you look at his box scores, it's like anywhere between 7 and 10 points, 3 to 5 assists, 3 to 5 rebounds. He's done such a nice job for them off the bench. He's been such a great late season pickup for the squad. And then that pass he had today, that unbelievable sequence off the backboard to Durant, uh, you know, capping off the play of the season for the Nets. So that play, <laughs> that play was something else, man. It was great. I mean, it's funny how the most impressive sequence of the season and that's how you would define it, because I thought the best part was the Blake Griffin pass. The Blake Griffin behind the back pass gets it to Kyrie, feeds it to Mike James, who lays it off the backboard. That's the exclamation point. But the play was Blake Griffin. I mean, I really thought like the behind the back pass that was perfect to Kyrie Irving. That really made the play. But it's funny how in game 72, the last game of the year, as you know, this game was never in doubt that that's when we would see a play like that. Oh, it was, it, it, it was a thing of beauty. And when I saw it happen, I thought of the kid to Kenyon moments where he would throw it off the backboard and he would dunk it. And then the, uh, the broadcast later showed one of those clips from when the Nets did that. And it was, 
it brought me back to that because it was like great trans good defense turns into transition offense turns into a spectacular dunking play and i feel so much better about the second unit with mike james in the game if the nets decide to do some stuff where they harden and Durant's down and you could put james paired him with Kyrie as a second unit in playoff games i have a good feeling about that and i know we had talked about on the podcast before and you had mentioned this when harden's back you know mike james is going to lose minutes i think they're going to still feed him minutes i think they're going to find ways to put him in the game now i understand of course with harden and Kyrie and crunch time that won't be the case but I think there's going to be – I think he's still going to get – I think he could get eight to ten minutes in the playoffs. I think it's definitely possible. Well, okay, so let's start with a basic question then. How many guys deep will Steve Nash go? Is he going to go and use ten guys during a playoff game? And I'm not talking about garbage time minutes if they're mm-hmm. blowing a team out, which hopefully happens every single night. I'm talking core big minutes. Right. Does he go ten guys then in your mind? Well, it's I say it out loud, Kyrie – Harden, Durant. Well, well, start Clay. start this way. Start start this way. Give me your starting five because to me, and let's assume everybody's healthy. Hopefully that happens. I know Joe Harris is dealing with a hip issue. We all know the fears of James Harden re-injuring the hamstring. I mean, just putting that aside for a second. I'll give you mine, then you give me yours, and we'll go backwards that way to kind of figure out how this rotation is going to look. I would start Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Bruce Brown, Kevin Durant, and Blake Griffin. That would be my starting five. I'm actually, I'm with you, and I wouldn't have said that at the beginning of the year. I think I would love Joe there, but get him off the bench, and then I would say you keep some of the, one of the two of the stars with him in, in the backcourt or whatever to have alongside of him. I'm okay with Joe off the bench because this starting unit seems to be working, and then you get really small if Joe's there. And and, and I know Bruce Brown's a smaller, small Plays player big. too. Plays big. He plays big. He gets to the yep. glass. He rebounds. He gives a different dynamic. Yes, you love the idea of the spreading the floor and the shooting, but what Bruce Brown has given on the defensive side and the hustle and the rebounding is something you need alongside those guys more than I think maybe Joe Harris is shooting. So I agree with you. Oh, yeah. And, and I know Joe has started most of the year, so it'll be kind of awkward for him to come off the bench, but I think it makes the most sense. I think having yeah. Bruce Brand, Brown's defense out there to begin games, his ability to grab offensive rebounds, which has been amazing for a guy who's six five or whatever he is, I would definitely start him. And then my second unit would be Claxton, yep, Jeff Green, Joe Harris, Landry Shaman, and that's nine guys. I mean, you want to tell me you're going to fit in four to five, five to eight minutes out of Mike James? I guess, but I just think in the postseason where these guys are going to play big minutes. You know, we could argue, and we'll get into it, how you handle the first round, because, hey, if you're going to blow out, and I know that's like a fantasy, but if you're going to blow out Boston or Washington, then sure, you can manage these guys' minutes, but it's the playoffs. You're not thinking that way. You're thinking about defeating your opponents, and that means these guys are going to play in the low 40s. They're going to play in the high 30s. They're going to be Thibodeau every single night. They're going to play big minutes. See, I made that a verb, to be thibodeaued, to have to play 43 minutes a night. And I'm not saying that as a backhanded mean comment. It just means play big minutes. Yes, I, I so, get all that. I, I yeah. get Kevin. I, I, I just have this feeling the way Nash likes James and what he's seen, he's going to find ways to get him minutes. I think they're going to expand the bench to 10. I think it's going to be bigger. I do think he's going to get playoff minutes. I, 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 I believe that will happen. If they go 10 guys deep, 
I'm trying to think. I mean, obviously, Alice Johnson's been out of the rotation for a while. No. DeAndre Jordan's out of the rotation. The guy I think that could compete with him for minutes would be Tyler Johnson. And that's really mm-hmm. the only guy. Because outside of that, I think their rotation with the bigs is pretty much set. Now, as this goes on, could you see DeAndre Jordan playing 10 minutes? Of course. I mean, it, it depends all about matchups. So I can see DeAndre being dusted off. But Timothy Loabo Cabarro buried. Buried. Now, he's not going to get any kind of role other than a victory cigar moment. So I guess it would be, in your world, Mike James and Tyler Johnson kind of vying for that 10th spot. Unless you want to throw Landry Shavitt in there, especially if he struggles early on. And I get the good part about the Nets is their flexibility that if Landry Shamit is ice cold and can't do anything on the perimeter and he's going through one of those bad stretches, you can take a chance on a Tyler Johnson who's shown the ability to come in games and heat up and hit shots. So I feel that, and that's why it was like I missed Joe in these last couple of games, but because Shamit shot a little bit better, Tyler Johnson was shooting well and Mike James played so well in the backcourt, it, it took on uh, part of the loss of Joe Harris and helped that. And that's the strength of this team is they have guys that can come off the bench and shoot. And yeah, I, w- I would put it that way. If somebody's struggling, they could zig and zag and go with another option. If Harden's dominating the ball and you need somebody off of him to shoot, Tyler Johnson, yes, I guess makes more sense in that sense because he's a, he's a straight, you know, stand up shooter that could feel the double team to Harden, get him out, and then James takes the shot. So that would make sense. So there's going to be a lot of ebbs and flows as this thing goes on, but I would, you know, I wouldn't be stunned if you saw all these different guys and different, different pieces come together uh, and whatever coach Nash Nash decides and, and uh, away we go. Now, obviously we're both very happy. They secured a two seed for obvious reasons. Your opponent is much weaker on paper than who you'd be facing. If you're the three seed, the way it's worked out, it would be the Miami heat and the Miami Heat are an insanely dangerous team. We know about the nightmares Bam out of bio has already caused us and how good of a head coach Eric Spolstra is and how much of a douche, and I mean that in a positive way, Jimmy Butler is. So clearly the difference between playing Miami in the first round and playing either Washington and Boston in the first round is huge. And home court advantage matters. I mean, if we are looking at Nets Bucks in round two, you want to be able to host the game seven in your building. I, I stand by that. So I'm glad they were able to pull it out. I thank the San Antonio Spurs for helping the Nets out uh, a couple of days ago by knocking off the Milwaukee Bucks. And so we're good. We got the two seed. It just means we still don't know the opponent. Now, we've we've narrowed it down to two. Mm-hmm. But on Tuesday night, there's going to be a play-in game between the Boston Celtics and the Washington Wizards. If my memory is correct, bro, I don't think we have ever played the Washington Wizards or Bullets in the NBA playoffs. I don't think that has ever happened in the history of the Nets franchise. I believe you're right. The Boston Celtics, on the other hand, are 0 for 2 against Mm. the Nets. The storied franchise that is the Boston Celtics, who I think have beaten every franchise in the NBA in the postseason, they have never beaten the New Jersey Brooklyn Nets, obviously that Eastern Conference Finals from 02, and then just sweeping their asses in the second round of 2003. So there's your right. playoff history. With that said, who do you want when you sit there on Tuesday night watching Celtics Wizards, which has a direct impact on our lives? Who are you rooting for? I'll be rooting for the Boston Celtics. I'll be rooting for the Celtics because they are depleted with injuries and they are going in the wrong direction 
although they did play well today with nobody on the roster. They're going in the opposite direction and not playing good basketball. And that momentum is the difference for me. Obviously, if you're going to win an NBA championship, you're just going to have to beat everybody in front of you. And it doesn't matter who the opponent is. You're just going to have to beat them. And you can't be concerned too much with this team or that team. And I think the Nets would tell you that they don't care. But from my end, give me the Celtics because of the Jalen Brown injury and because of that, the, this is a team that's going in the wrong direction. And Washington, who had to fight for their lives to get back into this playoff picture and get back up to the eight seed, which is remarkable because they'd actually just be in the playoffs as the eight as of how well they played. But this is a team that's very different than their record indicates because of how poorly they started the season. And this, that's Wizards games this year were wild. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get to that in a second because I think that's I think that's why you picked the Washington Wizards as a team you don't want to face. So I guess the opposite of what I asked, why right. you'd root for Boston. I think there's there's two reasons. And the first th- thing that you pointed out is I mean it's 100% true. The Boston Celtics have limped to the finish line. They've limped to the finish line from a health perspective and they've limped to the finish line by going 5 and 10 in their last 15 games. I mean, the facts are the facts. Um, this has been a massively disappointing year for the Boston Celtics. This was a team that, believe it or not, had the exact same over-under number as the Brooklyn Nets coming into the season. The expectations were high for the Boston Celtics. So I get it. They're trending in the wrong direction. We beat the Celtics three times this year while the Wizard games were heartbreaking. I mean, I'd argue... Yeah, fun. Did you just say fun? I was trying to be sarcastic. Oh, okay. Because I told you about the one, the one game I screwed up on the 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 epic loss when my DVR thing oh. screwed up and it got me to the end. I went, "What the hell just happened?" Oh my god, that was brother. Five point lead with twelve seconds to go. That was mm. just god awful. So, I think those two things matter. And to the Wizards' credit, now you mentioned how strong they finished. Let me give you a little perspective on how good they've been mm. in the final twenty four games of the season which is what? That's like a third of the season, right? The final third of the year. The Washington Wizards went 18 and six. Our basketball team went 15 and nine. So the Wizards have been a better basketball team record-wise over that 24-game stretch. Now, I do want to be fair. During that stretch, they only had one win against a true playoff team. And by true playoff team, I mean a top six seed. So it's not as if they were beating elite level teams. I think what the Wizards did really well at was beating bad teams or beating mediocre teams. And look, to their credit, that's what you have to do in the NBA. So I'm not holding that against them. I just want to make it clear that when they go 18 and six over the last 24 games, they weren't putting elite level wins on the board. That's fair, but it's, but it's just... It shows they're confident, and I would say from this, the, you know, Russell Westbrook does not give two bleeps about anything Kevin Durant, James Harden, or Kyrie Irving have accomplished, and he will not be scared or intimidated at all by any of their hype or anything. He'll be so motivated to play well and defeat Kevin Durant, and I'm sure like the you know the narrative police will be in love with that one. Harden, or excuse me, Durant versus Westbrook, the return, the rematch. The, the two guys that used to be best friends now hate each other. Are they friends? All of that, all of that stuff. So, I, you know, you know, Westbrook going into this, he's going to be like, give me Durant and he's going to give everything that he has. And that guy goes at a 110% at all times and he would be fired up and just seeing, you know, the, the Westbrook machine and 
the technicals he has. That that sounds way more annoying than a Celtics team right now that just feels like they're watching Jason Tatum take on the rest of the roster. No, you're right. I mean, Russell Westbrook, and I, I also feel I've talked so much trash about Russ this season that he would drive me nuts in a seven-game series. I mean, all the way back to when the Knicks were thinking of trading for him, and I'm on the radio saying, Nick fans, you don't want anything to do right. with him, you know, to, to now him, of course, averaging a triple-double and, you know, doing everything he does statistically and finishing as strongly as they have. Beal's hamstring is iffy right now. That's one thing to keep an eye on. He did play in the final game. He'll obviously play in the playing game, but I think he's been playing injured. I'm not sure he's out there um, if this is your typical regular season game. But, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I lean with you. I don't have a strong passion like I may have had in a different playing game. For example, I, not to disrespect the Charlotte Hornets, but I think if Charlotte had won today, I would have been, yeah, let's go Hornets. Bring them on. Let's go. I think the Celtics and the Wizards are both dangerous in ways because they both have superstar or close to superstar players. Jason Tatum is a star. Uh, They have veteran experience. I mean, they've been in the postseason. They've made postseason runs over the last couple of years, and they have a hell of a head coach in Brad Stevens. So I kind of lean towards on Tuesday night, not really being passionate one way or the other, but probably leaning a little bit towards the Boston Celtics. Plus, I think it'd be awesome for Kyrie Irving to stick it to those people. That would be fun. They hate him. You know, they blame Kyrie Irving for everything. You know, they everything that goes wrong is Kyrie Irving's fault. And, you know, to torture Bostonians, that's kind of cool. I mean, that's one thing I think a lot of New Yorkers can get together on, even some Nick fans. They can't hate the they they can't stand the Celtics. So I probably lean towards you, and you touched on it earlier. The, the Nets destroyed the Celtics in the regular season, and, mm-hmm. and they did it. They did it with various versions. Do you remember which versions of the Nets were playing the Boston Celtics? Because it's odd to think about. Well, all right. So there's three and zero versus the Celtics. The latest version was uh, just recently. There was definitely there was no direct. That was just Kyrie only. I want to say, bro. Not only was it just Kyrie, okay. Kyrie Irving went four for 19 and over six from three. And Jason Tatum led the Celtics with 38 points. The Nets won. Yeah. I mean, just, just, just think about that. No Durant, no Harden. Kyrie's terrible. Tatum goes for 38 and the Nets won. And they won because of Bruce Brown, Blake Griffin, mm-hmm. Joe Harris, and Jeff Green. They all had really solid performances and they overcame the fact that Kyrie wasn't good and Tatum scored 38. And maybe that example is why we have confidence against the Boston Celtics. Yeah, and the, the, the first game I remember was, you know, Kyrie's return, even though there was nobody there. And he got out some of the, uh, I don't remember what it was, but he was throwing around smoke or whatever the hell. What was he doing? He was, what, what was Kyrie doing? He was, he he was cleansing the, the arena. I think, he, yeah. I think he did that for in a preseason game. I don't even think it was, was a preseason yeah, I think that was a preseason game when he did that. Oh, and but, then of, okay, and then of course, yeah, the the uh, second game of the year when they beat him, which was a diff, which was the Lavert and Allen team. Yeah, yeah, it was the the original version of this Nets team. You're right. It was the second game of the year. It was Christmas Day. Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Karis Lavert, Jared Allen. Crazy. And then the second game they beat them in was during that great run where it was led by Kyrie Irving and James Harden, where those were the two guys out there and KD was hurt. So think about it. I mean, 
they swept the Boston Celtics with all three different versions of this Nets team because really no one has seen this version, the version that's going into the postseason because they've played so few games together. No one has seen them. No one has faced them like that for the most part. And I do think it would be fun to play the Celtics based on the trade from a few years back, I guess more than a few years back now, but with the, uh, the Pierce, you know, Garnett deal to go ahead and stick it to them and just yes. eat the living crap out of them, I think would be kind of fun considering where these two franchises were and that they went in and just torched them in the first round would be pretty sweet and feel very good just to know for the Celtics, like, what is our future? Are we dealing Jalen Brown? How do we build around him? Should Brad Stevens be fired? And just let all those questions open up for Celtic fans. Yeah, I want the Celtics. You know, the more it kind of ponders in my brain, I want them. Because I'll never forget, there was a game, dude, it must have been during one of our worst seasons where I somehow dragged my wife to go to Boston on a Friday night. And we went to Net Celtics. And the Celtics just destroyed the net. I mean, it was a non-competitive game. Right. And in the last five minutes of the game, the entire arena started chanting Brooklyn's draft picks, Brooklyn's draft picks. And I, and I remember just being so depressed and even saying to my wife, we're never going to get out of this. Like they're right. They're torturing us, but how the hell are we ever going to get out of what we was created by that trade? And so, yeah, to sit here a few years later and to be the ones with the super team Mm -hmm. and for them to be the ones who really don't know what direction they're going to go in, it's personal. And I think from that standpoint, it really is a no-brainer that we should be all actively rooting for the Boston Celtics on Tuesday night. So I said to you earlier, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not (laughs) sure. I lean Boston. Now that we've talked it out, it's not even a question. I want to beat the crap out of those green bastards. Bring up the bring, yeah, bring bring on the C's because we don't need to see 156, 149, seven minutes to go in the fourth. Russell Westbrook with 27, 16, and eight, you know, and all of this. But I uh, well, again, you got to be who you got to beat, and you can't be scared of anybody. But I'd rather not see the Wizards as, as you laid out. They've won six, what is it, 18 and six the last 24. They're yeah. playing good basketball. Westbrook's been on fire. He's not going to be scared of Durant. Give, give me the Celtics, and they're limping into the playoffs. The first time they played the Wizards, that was the game where both mm-hmm. Irving and Durant missed game-winning right. shots in the final 10 seconds. And it was yep. it was frustrating. It was really early in the season. I mean, it was really early in the really season. Really early. And I think I remember tweeting or even saying on the air, look, this sucks, but it's January. As long as they're making shots in May, June, July, we'll all move on from this. That second loss, which is the game you referred to where you screwed up your DVR, that was just that. But by the way, what was weird about that game is it was only Kyrie and KD. They had recently traded for James Harden maybe a few weeks earlier. Harden didn't play because it was a maintenance day. It was the only time all year where they really maintenanced James Harden. I guess you could argue they maintenanced him for the final game of the year with the hamstring, but he didn't play that game. And they still put up 146 points, but they blew the game in the final 12 seconds when Westbrook and Beal both hit threes. And then let's not forget TLC missed a game layup layup at the buzzer where they could have overcome it anyway. He was in final moments for the Nets, which now just seems impossible. TLC for the win. I mean, what? Come on. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. That, I think that 
collapse. And even the game that I mentioned where both Irving and Durant missed the game-winning shots, as we look back at the 24 losses this season, those may be the two worst. I mean, you want to argue the first Milwaukee game uh, during the the back-to-back because it was a frustrating loss. It felt like a playoff loss, sure. Uh, But as far as punch-in-the-stomach losses, Mm -hmm. because we didn't have a lot of them this year. I mean, we really beat the teams that we were hyped up for. I would argue those two Wizard losses were two of the worst losses of the season. Yeah, I think that one Wizards loss was the worst. I really do. I, I have to look back at the schedule and remember everything exactly, but just the way it collapsed, the Joe Harris pass, it was, and at that time, Washington was just terrible. They were not a good basketball team, and that was a really bad loss for the Nets. And ultimately, <laughs> that the Nets win that game, and, you know, we're Washington's the, not the, uh, not the eight seed, I guess. And that, yeah. that kind of but that's, you know, that's, that's just sports and that's how it happens. But yeah, that, that loss was just the freaking worst. I mean, it was just, it was horrific. And like I said, I didn't see it happen. So I saw the box score at the end, but boy, was it super depressing when Joe Harris is making like the worst pass you've ever seen. Oh, no doubt. So we know Milwaukee's matched up with Miami. I got to tell you right now, would it really surprise you if Miami knocked them off? No, I, not at all. I think uh, the way they've played, the basketball they're turning out, the team that went to the NBA Finals last year, they're going to be ultra confident. They, they believe, I would tell you, Miami in their locker room, they're saying, hey, we're a team that's supposed to win this series. They're feeling extremely confident, and they're ready to roll, and they're, and they're ready to go, and, and they're thinking they can get this done. And as well as Jimmy's playing, Bam out of bio, the experience with last year's team, with the depth with Tyler hero, uh, they're expected to win and Milwaukee's postseason issues. I mean, the bucks got, uh, they've got, they've got a hard task at hand for them. Like if they want to get to a championship in theory, they would have to get through Miami, Brooklyn and Philly. They've got, they've got a lot to deal with. And I would not be surprised at all. I really would not. I mean, I think it's gonna be an excellent series that goes at least six. Yeah. I mean, when, when I was watching and following the Miami Knicks, Atlanta stretch run on, how it was going to be four, five, six. I really wanted the Knicks in the sixth spot. Not, not simply because, oh, I want the Knicks to be the lowest possible seed. It wasn't even that. It was the idea of, hey, let them play Milwaukee. Because I, I do have respect for the Knicks. I think they would at least take a game or two, potentially, from the box. We know how good they have been defensively this season. And if, God forbid, they pull off an upset, great. Nets, Knicks, second round. Let's go. <laughs> you know, watching Miami. And knowing the nightmares that Bam can cause, there's a part of me when I watch Miami, Milwaukee, assuming we take care of our own business, where I don't necessarily know if I'm going to be sitting there rooting for an upset. Like, I think there's a part of me, man, that's going to be more afraid of the Miami Heat in a seven-game series in the box. Look, we've got home court against against either one, right? So it doesn't even matter in terms of, well, if Miami wins, we get home court. We're going to get home court against both. That's going to be one of those series where I hope it goes seven. I hope they beat the crap out of each other, but I'm not necessarily sitting there rooting for Miami thinking that's an easier road. I'm not convinced it is an easier road dealing with them in a seven game series. I look at that as a flip. I really do. I I couldn't see it in either direction. I I would, I would be scared of either team and I'll be scared of everything because I'm just going to be like, we've got to win this championship. We got to get everything done. We need to get wins, but you're absolutely right there to me equals as as well as Miami's played in Milwaukee's postseason struggled in the past there's no way you look at that Miami roster and again that just gets back to the point of how big it was for them to secure the two seed and thank you San Antonio for beating the crap out of the Milwaukee Bucks 
because now when you're playing as we, we broke down Boston versus Washington and the pluses and minuses of playing either team, but you're not going to be playing the Miami heat in the first round, which would have been, uh, would, that, that would have been uh, hell on earth. I mean, that really would have been really tough. And now that's Milwaukee's problem. Now, one other thing I want to point out with the Nets finishing with 48 wins, not only did they clinch the two seed, obviously in an Eastern Conference Finals against Philadelphia, the 76ers would have home court. In the NBA Finals, mm -hmm. there were only two teams that would have home court advantage against the Brooklyn Nets, the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns. That's it. The Nets would have home court against Denver, home court against the Clippers, home court against the Lakers, even though the Lakers are going to have to go into this play-in tournament. Good luck with that. So home court advantage is secured against everybody but those three teams, mm. Philadelphia, Utah, and Phoenix. Now, I want to address something because I didn't even know this was a controversy, but apparently it's going to be. There is like this cold war between the Brooklyn Net fans I know there's fewer of us and the New York Knicks fans after the Nets defeated the Cleveland Cavaliers and Kevin Durant was asked about the big three. He made a comment about how we have a big 15. Now I do remember that Julius Randle made that same comment about the Knicks when asked about going up against the Nets big three. I think it was Alec Burke said, ah, well, we've got a big five and Julius corrected him and said, no, no, no. We got a big 15 and I mocked it. I think a lot of net fans mocked it. Now Durant has used the big 15 line. And I guess some people feel KD said that as a shot at the Knicks, which I got to tell you, I don't see. I don't think there's any chance in the world. Kevin Durant knows that Julius Randall made that comment. What say you? Well, uh, uh, one quick thing. I believe it was Reggie Bullock in there. So Reggie you, Bullock, my bad. Yeah, not Alec yeah, Bullock. Excuse okay. me, Reggie Bullock. Say that yes. correctly. Yeah. Uh, I, I have to hear it. I think that would make a bigger difference. I just read the tweets and I just read the comments. So to, just to, to, to full disclosure, if I, you know, I, I didn't hear it and maybe tone. Did he snicker? Did he laugh? Did he have a little chuckle with it? That could make a difference, I suppose, and how he said it and how to interpret it. My gut instinct is. Yeah, he did take a little jab at the Knicks. And I don't, I, I could see why a Knicks fan would be sensitive to it because they're sick and tired of the Nets coming in and trying to lay the groundwork. From my end, if he did say it, I think it's kind of fun. I enjoy it because if Knicks fans and Nets fans want to have a rivalry, if they want to have trash talk, if they want to go back and forth at it, this is the kind of stuff that happens. This is the stuff that's said back and forth. And I would say 15, 20 years ago, there wouldn't be a player on the Nets that would have the cojones to take little jabs at the Knicks if he did do it. So I kind of got a kick out of it. And I like to see the Knicks fan a little upset by it and a little sensitive about it. So if he did, I'm a little pleased by it. And does that show my true colors and insecurities about the Knicks? Absolutely. But I'm being <laughs> honest. That look, dude, that's fine. I mean, that all of that is fine. I just think you want it to be the case. And I think Nick fans want it to be the case. Mm. So you talk yourself into thinking that Kevin Durant made that comment as a shot at the Knicks when I got to tell you, I think that is such a long shot. I think it was Kevin Durant building up his teammates. That's what I think it was. You know, the, these guys seem to get along really well. And there seems to be a lot of 
helping each other out, not just the big three. It's not like an island of Harden, Irving, and Durant and everybody else. The media may talk about them that way. We may talk about them that way, but that's not the reality. That's not the way these guys treat each other. So when Kyrie Irving finished officially with a 50-40-90 season, you saw his teammates celebrating for him. And so I think Kevin Durant makes that comment because he's saying, hey, Bruce Brown's a big part of this team. Joe Harris is a big part of this team. My pal DeAndre Jordan's a big part of this team, whether it's true or not. And so, look, if you're looking for something to hit the Knicks with, I get it. I respect it. If Knicks fans are looking for something to be offended about, fine. I get it. But I think if we're being fair and we're taking a step back, this is more about Kevin Durant putting over his teammates than thinking about a comment Julius Randle made two months ago that most people forgot about. I think the problem for Durant and why it's easy to go on him on this is because of his track record of going after anybody on Twitter and holding uh, grudges on anybody on Twitter. So he has a uh, history of when you hear him say something and you read it on Twitter it's not surprising if you were to have the instincts of, well, based on his track record of how he's pretty damn sensitive about everything, I could see him maybe holding in some things about the Knicks and then giving a little glimpse of how he was feeling in that moment. And I'm like, if he did, good. If he felt like that was a shot, then he wanted to unleash it. Who cares? I love it. If he was holding on to that and he has something that he dislikes about the Knicks, good. Go for it. I don't care about the timing or place. If that was where he went, it, was, it wasn't like he did anything serious. It was a little jab. And if he did it, I'm okay with it. Speaking of the Knicks, you think they're going to beat the Hawks? Um, <laughs> yes. My gut <laughs> instinct is yes. I mean, the last Knicks-Hawk game was very good. And that was the game Trey Young got hurt in. When yep. the Hawks were up like a couple of points heading into the fourth quarter, Knicks blew the lead late. Atlanta tied it. That was a very good game. I think this is going to be an excellent series. I, I like Knicks-Atlanta to go seven. I, I really do. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. From like a basketball standpoint, these two teams are going to be two upstart franchises. I think it's going to be an excellent series. Well, I, I, I completely understand why the Nick fans wanted to play Atlanta. It's the same reason why of course. we have a bias towards playing Boston because we beat them. I mean, the Knicks swept the season series of the Atlanta Hawks. So when you have regular season success against the team, there's this natural reaction to think, oh, well, we'll kill them in a best of seven series. What I thought was really, really funny to me, and I'm going to tweet this out in a couple of days, just to, it's not to piss off Nick fans because I think Nick fans will like this and they'll go after Atlanta is that I was reading one of the Atlanta Hawks popular fan blogs and they want the Knicks. Like mm. who do you want to face in the first round? And look, it's understandable why they want the Knicks. If you take a step back, they don't want to play Miami. They don't want right. to play Milwaukee. They don't want to play Brooklyn. So, of course, you want to play the Knicks. And I think that it's the same with the Knicks fans. Of course, you want to play Atlanta. You don't want to play Miami. You don't want to play Milwaukee. You don't want to play the Nets. So, it's a logical thing. But I, I think it's kind of funny how the Knicks wanted or Knicks fans, and though Julius Randle did make a comment recently about wanting to play the Hawks, but whatever, they wanted Atlanta. And I think Atlanta fans want the Knicks. But what I think is cool for us, and I think really cool for New York City, is that the bracket is set up for that fantasy Eastern Conference Finals because, you know, you mentioned a Nick Net rivalry. Look, playing in the playoffs is fine, but it's also happened before. We've seen it. First round Nets-Knicks isn't going to make it a rivalry. 
But second round, or dare I say conference finals, that would be epic. And so with these two teams separated on the bracket, if the Knicks can pull off a big upset against Philadelphia, I don't think it would be an upset to beat Atlanta. They're going to be favorites probably as the four seed. Mm-hmm. But then we get this epic all New York City Eastern Conference Finals. I think it's a long shot, but it's kind of cool that it may be there at least as a fantasy for all New York basketball fans to kind of look at on the horizon. And I've said this for the last month or so, and people have said like, oh, is it the Knicks playing well now take away from the Nets and the Nets success? And I always look at it differently. The Knicks success is bringing more attention to the Nets in a lot of ways because People would just disappear from basketball, but now they're forced to ingest the Nets because the Knicks are going on simultaneously. So if you were to get Knicks and Nets at the same time in a conference finals, it would be fantastic. It would be only only good things for the Nets, of course, if they were to win it. But I think overall, you're right. Getting these two teams together in a conference finals, I mean, you would get bad blood. You would get a rivalry. It would get nasty in, in a fun sports kind of sense. And I couldn't even, I can't even imagine the intensity that I would be feeling watching Nets Knicks with the NBA finals on the line. I can't even get my brain to that point thinking about just how much I would get into Nets versus Knicks on a random February, what Nets versus Knicks would be like game five, six of an Eastern conference finals with like the series two, two. I don't even know what, what that well, would even what be. I, that would be nuts. What I think will be an interesting question. Cause I remember living this in 2000. And I know the dynamic is very, very different. So hear me out on it. The Mm -hmm. Mets won the pennant. The Mets were already in the World Series and the Yankees and Mariners were battling it out in the American League Championship Series. And game six was at Yankee Stadium. And I remember in high school that day, all the Met fans said, let's go Yankees because we want the Yankees. We want to play them in the World Series. And I said to all of them, you guys are nuts. Let's go Mariners. I I get how cool a subway series would be, but I'd rather not see it. I'd rather see the Yankees fall one leg short. If the Knicks are able to beat Atlanta, if we are able to beat Boston or Washington, and now we beat Milwaukee or Miami, and we're sitting there in the Eastern Conference Finals, we're there, we're in, and the Knicks and Sixers are playing a game seven in Philadelphia or a game six at Madison Square Garden. What do we do? And I think that's a really intriguing question. And I'd ask that to Nick fans too, because a lot of Nick fans are now admitting they don't like us. And that's, that's great. That's fine. They're in the Eastern conference finals. They're there. We're playing game seven against the bucks. What are they really rooting for? Are they going to be like what I think a majority of people did in 2000 and say, come on, we're this close. Let's just do it. Or do this, or do they say F you, we don't like you. We want you to lose. I pretty much know what I'll be thinking, but the question is, what will you be thinking? And what would Nick fans be thinking if they're the ones in and they're watching us play a game seven? Now it's always fun to win. And it's always a great feeling to advance. And it's, if you're logical, you say, I want to play the lesser team. I want to play the team. That's not as good because then from my end, yes, you're giving less respect to that franchise, but it means you have a better chance of ultimately getting your goal of going to a championship. But There is something sweeter about when you knock off the rival, when you knock off the team you dislike, even though it might be more difficult, the fruit tastes that much better. 
if you finally beat your big brother on the court one-on-one, it's more fun than beating some kid down the street that you've known for a couple of years because you got past the guy that you've been living with in the same house for 16 years. So maybe the logical answer is you want to play the lesser team, but the emotional answer is you want to knock off the guy in the area that has been pissing you off because it feels that much sweeter and would be that much better. But from my end, no doubt about it, I'd want to see the Sixers, and I wouldn't even think twice about it. <laughs> there you go. wouldn't even think twice. We'll talk again before the postseason begins over the weekend when we have clarity on who the opponent shall be. But thanks, everybody, for listening to this edition of the Brooklyn Basketball Podcast.